Welcome to the Indie Hackers Podcast. I'm Cortland Allen from IndieHackers.com. And on this show, I talk to the founders of profitable internet businesses to try to get a sense of how they got to where they are today so that the rest of us can learn from their lessons and experiences. Today, I'm talking to Wes Boss. He is a bit hard to describe because he's so good at so many different things. And I'm sure a lot of you listening are rabid West Boss fans, just based on the number of questions and suggestions I got for this interview. There are very few introductions that I could give that would really do West justice, or even this episode justice. I think it's one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the podcast. So why don't we just jump right into it? I am here today with West Boss. How's it going, Wes? Boom, pretty good. How about you? Doing excellent. Thanks a ton for coming on the podcast. People have been requesting you for months now, basically since I started this thing. So it's awesome to have you on. <laughs> awesome. Cool. I'm glad to glad to join and, I don't know, share any uh, little wisdom that I do have. Well, you are uh, a bit difficult to describe and to introduce because you've excelled at uh, so many things. Your website, you describe yourself as a designer, a developer, an entrepreneur, a speaker, and a teacher. And I think usually people who use this many words to describe themselves are exaggerating, but you're actually <laughs> at the top of your field in like every single one of these areas, which is super cool. Let me start by asking a tough question. If you had to pick just one of these to be good at and all of the other areas you had to give up for good, they're just completely gone, what would you pick? A developer. Uh, at the core of absolutely everything that I do is, is web development. So I wouldn't have those other things. Or if I didn't have development and I had all the other things, it, it wouldn't be much. So uh, it's, it's very important that I have that very solid foundation of being a web developer. You answered that much faster than I thought you would. <laughs> well, yeah, you, like, you could take all those other things away. And maybe with the exception of being an entrepreneur, I would still be very happy in what I'm doing. Uh, but if you took away the web development, I, I know that I wouldn't be as happy as I am. So... Can you give us the abridged two-minute story behind uh, West Boss as a web developer, your origins as a developer, and how you got to where you are today, and then the middle of the story, which is like you know where you are today and what you're up to, and then the end of the story would be where do you hope to be as a developer in a few decades? All right. Uh, well, uh, I got cut my teeth pretty early um, in the MySpace days back when maybe I think it was about 17 years ago. I just did a, a whole podcast myself on my origin story. So I'm pretty fresh with it. So about 17 years ago, I got into building my own websites I that moved into building MySpace designs. And that's where I really learned coding uh, for, for different bands. Um, and then from there, I just started doing uh, sort of freelance consulting uh, all the way through uh, high school and through university. And, and by the time I got out of university, I was uh, running my own business doing, doing consulting. Uh, right around that time, I got into teaching uh, something called Ladies Learning Code here in Toronto that uh, we did like weekend workshops learning how to use WordPress. Uh, and that sort of just compounded into me understanding that I love to teach. And uh, one thing, lots of blog posts, YouTube videos, lots of other teaching led to another. And that's sort of where I became... Uh, I don't know, the, the blog post and the videos sort of lended itself to lots of traffic, which I decided I wanted to write a book about. We can talk about that more if you like. But I, I wrote this book on Sublime Text, and that was like my first product, and I was hooked since then. So that's my beginning story and, and sort of where I'm at right now. I'm curious about the future. Where do you see yourself as a developer 20, 30 years from now? Where do you hope to be? Are you already where you hope to be as a developer? 
That's a great question. I don't I don't know. It's I, I people always ask me a lot about the the future of web development and the the future of of me and I, I really have no idea about the the future of web development. I'm much more of a, a reactionary person than a visionary. So I just sort of watch what's going on around me and then you react to that, which is it's funny because uh, part of my success was a react series. <laughs> um, I'm a dad by the way, so I have dad jokes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to report that dad jokes are more than welcome on the Indie Hackers podcast. Oh, good. <laughs> so, yeah, I just I, I don't really know where it's going. I definitely like to stay on the cutting edge of things, but I'm definitely not the sort of person that's paving the way in terms of what the next 5, 10, 20 years is going to, to look like. So I think in, in 10, 20 years, I think that I don't know where, where, where I'll be. I, I might be still doing uh, web development and software, stuff like that. I, I might have a goat farm because I'll be frustrated with coding so much <laughs> at that point where I'll go off and start farming goats or something crazy like that. I'm curious to hear how much impact that you would say you've had across all of your roles so far. First, what metrics do you look at? Do you measure your progress in terms of the people that you've reached or the money that you've made or the clients that you've landed? And second, if you don't mind sharing, what are what are some of those numbers look like? There's two main things that I use to measure my success and how things are going. The first one is um, mostly sign up numbers and, and sales numbers. How many people are signing up for free courses? How many people are signing up for uh, or paying for the the paid courses? But really, the thing that that sort of keeps me going is those small little emails that I get where people have got a, a new job or they've broken into the industry, taken a couple of my courses, and actually landed themselves. A new job or gotten someone got a $15,000 raise just a couple weeks ago. And it's pretty crazy to think that like, oh, wow, they've just learned a skill that you've taught them and, and they've then taken that and turned it into uh, some sort of betterment of their life. So that's the sort of cheesy <laughs> aspect of it. But the uh, the like hard and fast numbers part of it is, I don't know, what do we have here? I've My, my paid courses altogether probably have somewhere around uh, probably almost 30,000 paid users between my four big paid courses, which is Sublime Text Power User, React for Beginners, Learn Node, and ES6 for Everyone. My most popular one is React for Beginners. That one has 14,000 paid people who have taken it, and then they sort of trickle down from there. So that's been been my main, like, main driver there. Um, and then I also have my, my free courses, which is how a lot of people hear about me. Um, and those go from, I don't know, I think my lowest one probably has about 10,000 signups. Um, and then my highest one is JavaScript 30, which currently has 108,201 people who have signed up for that course. Those numbers are huge. That's awesome. Yeah. I really like that you mentioned uh, the impact that getting positive feedback from your customers and the people that you've helped has on you as a founder. And you're right, it's a little bit cheesy, but I think it's underestimated as a factor that keeps you going as an entrepreneur. I mean, just looking at the people that I've talked to and the people that I interact with on a regular basis, I think one of the top reasons that people end up failing when they try to start a business is simply that they quit early. And that could be for a whole number of reasons, right? They lose motivation, they run out of money, things aren't working. But getting positive messages in your inbox from people that you're actually affecting, there's nothing that's more of a shot in the arm than that. Absolutely. I, th those are the, the main things that, that keep me going. And on the flip side, if you're someone who has appreciated something that someone's putting out, whether it's a podcast or a course or uh, just a little blog post, like it's great to just drop someone a little note and say thank you so much because that's what keeps it going. 
And this is the perfect moment for me to shamelessly request that if you're listening in and enjoying the episode, that you go on iTunes and leave a review. It really helps people discover the podcast, and I would personally appreciate it. In fact, I can guarantee you that I will read your review because I read every review. So if you do end up leaving one, you can rest easy knowing that it will make me feel all kinds of warm and fuzzy inside. Anyway, Wes, you mentioned that you've got four paid courses. You've also got free courses. Yep. Your business really consists of a whole bunch of different moving parts. Can you give us a high-level outline of how it all comes together and what makes it tick? Behind everything is uh, an email list, which has, I think I've got about 165,000 people on my email list right now. And pretty high open rates on that as well. Like it goes from anywhere from 30% up to 60 70% on, on a good one. So that's that's pretty huge for me. I've been growing that over probably four or five years. And then I've got a, I've been on Twitter for about 11 years now, and I've got 100,000 people following me on there. And that's been pretty important with establishing credibility and meeting people and, and just having great conversations in terms of what people are, are looking for in courses. So those are sort of my big outreach points and, and I guess what makes a tick behind the scenes. I guess what makes a tick behind the scenes is also me just building this stuff as well. Right. Is it just you by yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I've uh, sort of my goal for 20 or for this this fall is um, being able to learn how to delegate because it's it is a bit much. It's a lot of work to, to do support and all kinds of stuff like that, as well as be able to create courses and as well as be like an inter- internet marketer at the same time and, and all this stuff. So I am dabbling with uh, asking for help and, and hiring people on different things, whether it's graphic design or Facebook ads or things like that. I am looking at hiring out people, but I'm definitely struggling with that, not having control over absolutely everything. It's hard. I mean, I tell people all the time the importance of delegating. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm horrible at it and I basically <laughs> never do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but just listening to all of your numbers, I mean... You know, over 100,000 followers on Twitter, an email list of 160, 170,000 developers that you've really only been building for five years. So it's safe to say that you've traveled a considerable distance down the path of success as an entrepreneur. A lot of people listening in want to build an online business like you, but they're still in the early phases. They're trying to decide what to work on. They're trying to figure out how to get their product out the door or find their very first customers. So it'd be great to hear about your early phases. What's the story behind the first dollar that you ever made online? either from a course or your book or some software, or any other scalable business? Yeah, um, so probably for, I don't know, you can look back at my YouTube and, and look at some of my early screencasts. I think it all stemmed from me not wanting to create a course. I didn't even know that was a thing. It was just me blogging and creating YouTube videos about things that I had learned or questions that people have asked me. And then I went and, and wrote a blog post about it or... Uh, I went up and created a YouTube video. And and from helping people, uh, from writing all these blog posts, some of them got really, really popular. Some of them didn't. People really appreciated it. And I was also very, very in the like IRC back before we had Slack, we had IRC, which if people had questions about JavaScript, I would help them. And I was just like all about spending a good chunk of my day uh, helping people out in, in terms of how they can get through their coding. Because when I had first started learning how to code, and even still today, if I have a question about something, uh, it's amazing when someone can take a little bit of time out of their day and explain something to you or, 
or find the issue with, with what's going on. So that's really what I spent a lot of my time on. And that's really how I got a lot of my like a substantial boost before I even thought about making a course. And then how did I get the first dollar? Well, I had written all these blog posts about Sublime Text and uh, they were getting lots of traffic. And uh, when you write a popular tech blog post, every single publisher out there comes knocking on your door asking if you'll write a book for them. And at the time, I was thrilled, but uh, I soon learned that writing a book with a tech publisher is a bum deal and you don't make much money on it at all. You do it more for like speaking engagements and uh, and client services and stuff like that, which I both of those I already had. So I wasn't really all that interested in it. So I decided to write the book myself and uh, I recorded some screencasts as well as wrote the entire book uh, and I self-published it and uh, I just put it out there and uh from the uh, the email sign up that I had on my Sublime Text blog posts, I had about two thousand people, and of that, about three hundred people bought it within the first day or two. So that was like sort of my first like, whoa, this actually works. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Just like a giant lump sum payment, basically, from a whole bunch of people signing up at once. Uh, probably feels a lot better than you know the money slowly trickling in a dollar at a time. Yeah, I should also say though that I was very vocal about writing this thing for a year and a half. And uh, along the way, I, I had lots of doubt, doubter moments being like, huh, I don't know if anyone, anyone would want this. Is it any good? Who am I to write a book? How would I market it? Would anybody actually buy it? Like, is it worth me spending like these hundreds and hundreds of hours on something that might just flop? And by being vocal about it, people kept asking, like, when's it coming out? I really, I really need that myself. And it sort of kept me along. And I, it took a long time to, to get it out. But Finishing it was definitely what I needed in order to show me that this this thing worked. So I'm willing to bet that you've learned a lot of lessons about entrepreneurship since then. What are the biggest misconceptions that you had in those early days where you can now confidently say that you've learned better? Yeah, the the absolute biggest one was that if somebody else has already done it, then there's no point in actually doing it. Uh, and that's because when I had written my Sublime book, or even when I like try to write a blog post, I would always be like, "Oh, there's already a blog post about this out there. Maybe it's not a, maybe it's not worth it, right?" But I sort of pushed past that and put it out anyway. And I realized like sometimes people don't jive well with what's already out there. Sometimes people really like the way that you explain something, or maybe they like it's because yours is up to date, or whatever reason somebody likes yours better is all the reason you need in order to to try put something out yourself and all of my of all of my courses out there there's equivalent courses there's tons of equivalent courses there's way cheaper courses that are out there but that doesn't stop me anymore because I know that there's a lot of people out there that like there's a lot of people out there that don't like my stuff and that's totally fine with me but I know that there's also a crew of people who also like my stuff and are chomping down the doors <laughs> saying they're beating down the door to to get the, whatever it is that I release next <laughs> chomping down the doors it goes something like that chomping at the bit and beating at the door those are the sayings that I wanted yeah I think you're, you're speaking my language right now and people who've listened to more than a few podcast episodes are probably sick of hearing me say this but you shouldn't worry about the competition you shouldn't shy away from tackling a problem just because somebody else is already addressing it because you can always bring your own unique solution to any given problem. And on top of that, if you end up bending over backwards to find an unsolved problem that has never been addressed before, 
then you're doing yourself a huge disservice because you don't have any proof that anybody cares about this problem enough to pay for a solution to it. In fact, you've got a lot of evidence to the contrary. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I often tell people, and I'm glad I have you on here today because you're the perfect person to tell me whether or not this is good advice. I tell people who are trying to get started that one of the best things that they can do is start by teaching. And it doesn't have to be teaching in the most traditional sense. I mean, sure, you can start courses or video tutorials, but you can also start an interview site like Indie Hackers or a podcast. Or you could even just aggregate raw data on a topic to help people who are doing research. Uh, a good example of that is Nomad List, which started off as a Google spreadsheet full of information on cities that digital nomads like to travel to. Regardless of the format, I think helping people learn something is one of the best ways to get your start as an entrepreneur. I've got four or five different reasons why I think this is the case, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on each one of them. The first one is a perfect segue from what we were just talking about, and it's this. Almost no matter what you teach, you're not going to have to worry about the competition, and nobody's really going to have the market completely cornered. And the reason for that is that people have different learning styles. Some people like learning in classroom settings. Some people like reading blog posts, some people like audio, some people like hands-on exercises, some people prefer textbooks, etc. So teaching is almost never a winner-take-all market, just because there's so many different solutions to the problem of people wanting to know something, and you can always add your own solution to that list. Reason number two is pretty closely related, and that's that it's relatively easy to come up with an idea for teaching. You have to start with something that you know very well, or that you're willing to learn yourself so that you can actually teach it. And then you just need to get a little bit creative with building a product or a service that helps people learn. So as a teacher yourself, what do you think about this so far? And is this a good place for entrepreneurs to start? I think so. I, I think like the first point in that the market isn't cornered. Sometimes I see people come out with stuff that is very obtuse, so they don't necessarily know if there's a market there or not. And that's where I'd encourage people to write blog posts or make YouTube videos on maybe three or four different topics. And then you will clearly see which ones there's interest are by the number of views that that thing has. Uh, and if people aren't sharing it, if people aren't watching it, maybe it's not something that people are all that interested in or it's not a problem that they actually have uh, to be solved. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's literally my third point is that you can get your minimum viable product out in very little time. Like You don't actually have to build an entire course to get started. You can just start with one or two blog posts or a YouTube video, uh, just like you said, and measure the results and actually get practice in marketing it and figuring out how people react to it. So that's another great reason to start teaching. Uh, number four, and this is a big one, especially for developers, well, only for developers, but there's not that much code involved in teaching. You're generally just writing. And so you can get a blog post or a video out the door in a day and start trying to sell it immediately or start trying to, to market it immediately. And you don't fall into this black hole that a lot of people do of spending six months basically just building a product without any idea whether or not people are going to like it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on that as well. I think that there is sometimes a bit of, in this whole like internet marketing space, I think that there's a lot of people that don't focus on quality content all that much. They're more focused on like building their email list or all these like marketing techniques. And what, what happens is that they just crank out some PDF or some crappy course or, or something like that. And then they go nuts with all the, the, the tactics. They listen, listen to 300 Mixergy interviews or something like that and start going to town with the different tactics when at the core of what I do is very good content. And then the marketing and all the techniques are, are just on top of that to expose the very good content. So yes, go quick with your stuff and, and crank out a blog post in a day, but also make sure that it's good as well. 
Yeah, totally agree. I think that's the other end of the spectrum. It's either spending way too much time on what you're what you're building to the point where it actually isn't good. You spend so much time without talking to anybody that you are investing in something that's not good or you know, the other extreme is spending way too little time and, and focusing too much on the tactics. So uh, that's great advice. Yeah, exactly. The fifth point is I think that if you know something well enough to teach it, you're probably a lot more likely to be passionate about it. And a lot of people end up starting these businesses that that seem like very opportunistic. They see, you know, a, a gap in the market and they're like, I'm going to do that. And it turns out they're like selling bibs to like babies in Taiwan or something they don't care about. <laughs> you know, after like a month or two, they're like, oh, this is exhausting. I'm tired. If you're teaching something that you know very well, you're, you're a lot more likely to enjoy it and stick with it when things get tough. And you're actually reaching people who are interested in the same topic that you're interested in. So I, I, can't, I can't overstate how important it is to be motivated about what you're working on. Oh, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Often I'll get approached by companies who have like a, we convert Microsoft Excel documents to nice looking tables or something. And they want me to do a tutorial on it or something <laughs> like that. Or like a whole series and or even something that is like tangentially related to to what I do. It might be still web development and whatnot, but it's just like I'm just not excited about that. And like that's not going to make a a very good course. And there's no way that I'm going to be in that for the long haul. So I only pick up stuff that I'm uh, super excited about, even if I I don't know it as like 100 percent. I'll definitely be excited about it and know uh, quite a bit about it. I know that I'm in a good spot to to start teaching it. And then the last point, which I think will be a good segue into what I want to talk to you about next, teaching is a great way to build an audience. There are just so many people in the market to learn something. People are always learning. And if you can teach them successfully and help them actually learn what they're trying to learn, then that's a very personal experience, especially if you're doing something like video or audio. The people that you teach will trust you. They will follow you. They want to hear more about what you have to say. And building that kind of engaged audience is really the secret to serial entrepreneurship and launching products in the future that succeed. Oh, absolutely. Totally agree. You in particular have done an excellent job building an audience. As you mentioned earlier, you've got hundreds of thousands of subscribers across multiple channels. Is building an audience something that you knew would be important from the very beginning? Yes. (laughs) How did you know that? Because back when MySpace was a thing, the way that MySpace worked, is that you would add friends and, and whoever had like the most friends, you get put in people's top eight and, and whatnot. And I was at the time I was designing T-shirts for bands and I was designing CD art and I was doing MySpace designs. And and like, how do you how do you reach people? Well, you, you, you build up a large following on MySpace. So I spent years on MySpace. I think I had about 20,000 friends on MySpace, which is hilarious to, <laughs> to think about. As cringy as that was, like it clearly showed me that like I was like dealing dealing with bands from all over the world, and they were like paying sending checks to my to my house when I was just in like high school. So I, I definitely realized the the benefits of of growing an audience. And then when when Twitter came along, I was like, this is the same thing, but just a different platform. Like, and how do you how do you build a huge following? And in our in on MySpace, you just had to click the add friend button twenty thousand times. But on Twitter, it's a it's a one way relationship, so uh, you actually have to offer something of value, right? Uh, in order for people to wanna to follow you. So uh, I I had started just by talking a lot about web development. The thing that I do is it's called hot tips, where if I ha- if I f- have a little tip about coding, 
I'll take a screenshot of it and I'll explain how it works. And it's like just enough for someone to to read it over a minute and go, huh, didn't know that or huh, that's a neat that's a neat way to approach it. And like this, just a little bite in your day. And, and that's what people sort of come to come to the Twitter about. And I think that a lot of people think that Twitter is all about pushing content or about pushing their thing. But it's it's really about like helping people and and being part of a conversation. And uh, so if especially to developers, because developers have very high bullshit detectors. So if you're just queuing up your buffer or Edgar with 20,000 articles on web development, no one's going to to follow you or no one's going to get any value from that. But if you're actually creating like if you go if you meet people where they're at, like on Twitter with good quality content and not try to push them off Twitter every single tweet, then it's going to work for you. Yeah, I think one of the difficult things about building a following through Twitter and publishing that amount of content is just trying to be that prolific. Like how many times would you say you tweet per day? I don't know, maybe 10 times a day. And then I post a hot tip maybe two times a week. And sometimes they'll, they'll get really popular and sometimes they'll, they'll fall flat. But And then most of my tweets are just sort of people asking questions or being involved in like a back and forth conversation about how to best approach something or different tools that, that, that are in there. And I've been at it so long that it's like second nature, whereas something like Facebook, I haven't logged in in a week and a half and I have to like, make sure that I go to Facebook and, and think of things to post where Twitter is just is second nature. Yeah, I'm the same way with Facebook. I forget about it all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that exists. Is there any other advice that you'd give to a new entrepreneur who's maybe just launched their business or thinking about launching something? How do they get in the habit of using Twitter as prolifically as you have? And what do they tweet about? Who do they follow? If you're just starting out, it's all about getting on there, finding people that are sort of in your little industry and having conversations with them. Like most of your tweets should be replies to other people and you should be joining in on conversations about different tools and, and your thoughts on things and, and whatnot. You can also, what I used to do is I would just have these different queries. I have TweetDeck open and you can search for different things like like need help or uh, I forget what the query was that I was looking for, but like People would ask for help and you can just jump in and provide some help on, on what it is that they're looking. There's a lot of people asking questions on Twitter. And if you can jump in and help somebody, they're definitely going to, to respect you for that and most likely give you a follow. I know a lot of people are probably asking themselves, well, why does it even matter to build, you know, why does building a Twitter audience even matter? Uh, you know, isn't it just people tweeting about what they ate for lunch? What would you say is the biggest thing that you get out of your, your Twitter audience? I think that it's sort of just like a, you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And, and I think that there are some industries where Twitter doesn't make sense at all because there's just no industry there. But I think for, for web developers, for marketers, for things like that, that's where people hang out. And if you are on Twitter every day, you can get an idea of, of what's new, what's going on, what are people struggling with, what are the questions that people have. Uh, and you can just get a feel for where those those pain points are and, and what the, the hot technologies are. And uh, you can turn that into the ability to to build a course or whatever. Oh, that's cool. So you're doing it like you're using it almost for market research, basically. Yeah, it's it's not like I like sit down and go like, oh, what are the tweeples saying today? <laughs> but it's 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 the water cooler for web developers and 
and web developers don't really hang out anywhere else. I guess that there's there's Slack rooms, there's Facebook groups, there's there are there's like Instagram's becoming really popular for web developers right now. There are a lot of those as well, and I'm definitely on those. But uh, in terms of like where do the like heads of industry chat, it's it's on Twitter. What about your email list, which is similar to Twitter? and that you built up a huge list of subscribers, but what would you say are the different advantages that you get over email that you don't get or that you don't see with Twitter? Well, email is good because you can get a lot more. Like, I have 100,000 followers on Twitter, but if I tweet something out, like, eight people see it. I don't know. It, not eight, but it's it's very low, uh, the amount of people that actually see your tweet versus how many followers you have, whereas uh, you send an email out and half your list is actually going to see it. Uh, versus probably one or two percent of your your following on Twitter, so you have a much higher uh, ability. So when I have something very important to send out, I'll send that out on my my email list, and then my my Twitter is more like a pumping things up, talking about it. Whereas your email list is I've got something to say, or here's what you should should know about it. And then another thing I use on my email list is I'll often just send out. This is terrible for my inbox, but I just say like, hey, like what are you struggling with? Like what's What's going on right now? And people are a lot more vulnerable when they send like a one to one email, especially if you write it in a tone of like, I don't know, my emails are are often written in a tone of like, hey, I just was on vacation, having some good times. And here's the technologies I'm playing with right now. And by the way, like, what are you struggling with right now? Or what are you hoping to learn in the next six months? And and you'll get tons. of I'm like, just hit reply and I'll get hundreds and hundreds of replies from people. Sometimes it will be like, just a book about like their whole career journey and where they're stuck right now. Um, and that is very good because you can take that and both use the the wording that they've used in the copy of your website and, and also like know what to teach next because you have your finger on the pulse of, of what, what people are having trouble with. So that's almost unbelievable to me that you, you, <laughs> you will do that because you have such a giant following that like what do you do to, with those hundreds of emails? Do you take the time to read all of them? Yeah, I do. I've got I have this like system called the breakout email management system. I, I wrote a blog post on it, but like how I manage email and uh, I've got lots of snippets, lots of short. Most emails that I write are a sentence or two, but uh, most of the emails that I get where people are just like requesting quick things every now and then you get a little book from people and you read it and try to try to respond as empathetic as you can. Yeah, that's tough. You're a better person than I am. <laughs> I dread clearing my inbox every day, and I'm, I doubt it's as big as yours. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I probably get, I don't know, 50, 60 like, real emails a day. Yeah, that, that sounds familiar, actually, and it's, it's a ton. Real, actionable emails directed solely at you, that's a lot. Yeah, but uh, that's why I've been working a lot on my like systematizing the email, because like almost every email I have should be resolvable within two minutes or a minute or something like that, right? Like if something takes longer than that, then there's a problem somewhere else in your your workflow that is is ending up in your email inbox. So you've got a ton of responsibilities. Somehow you're able to do all of it while uh, managing your email and responding to hundreds of people. And a lot of people who are listening in are wondering how they themselves can make the time to work on their businesses. And you've also got a family, you've got, you know, I think just one kid or you have two kids? I've got two kids now, yeah. How do you make the time to work on your business around all of your other time commitments in life? Yeah, that's a great question. So 
I have always worked for myself, and that's a huge advantage because that allows me to take part of my day. And at, right now, I work full time on on building my courses. But up until about I don't know eight months ago, I was doing client work for a good chunk of the day and building my courses in another part of the day. And I would just make sure that I section off time to work on it because it's so easy to to be like, well, this client work or my job will pay me now, but this course might pay me someday, maybe, but probably not. I don't know. So chunking off time and, and being able to like risk a couple hours of day, whether that means your income is going to go down or not, while well, you you try out building something, that's that's totally fine. And I don't know, just over the years, I've I've spent less time on client work and more time on my own courses. And as that boat gets closer to the dock, there's there's a time that you can you can sort of jump for that. For those who have like a full time job and are are looking at trying to do this, it's I don't know. I I am very, very good about not doing work outside of uh, work hours. So I, I only work nine to five. I don't take my laptop downstairs and, and, and stuff like that. So. I don't know how I would do it if I had hadn't started this before I had kids, because there's definitely like almost no time in the day when you have have a young family like that. But I, I, I don't know. I think you have to carve some time out, whether it's early in the morning or whether on your lunch break or whether you can negotiate something with your partner uh, about working a couple hours in the evening on it just because you think that it will make a, a big difference in your life. Yeah, I mean, I don't have kids, so I also don't have the answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely uh it's definitely a touchy subject and you listen to like people like gary vanderchuk who who shout family first family first but that guy's like not actually home a whole lot he's working 16 hours a day yeah and he like goes home for like an hour and stuff like that like that's not something that i really want for my life but that's really why i've put the time and the long hours into this thing initially is so that i can build a really nice family life for for myself. I I don't commute. I don't have to to do any of that stuff that really adds stress to having a family life. Do you have any sort of hacks that you've used or systems that you've implemented besides your email management system that can help you work more efficiently? Because I know when I talk to developers, especially, uh, I often find that they've built you know some really cool internal tools for themselves, or they've automated a lot of processes. One thing that I have actually I haven't used it in. In a while, when I launch a course, I get, or when I launch a free course, I'll probably get hundreds of tweets being like, oh, this is amazing, or people sharing it out, people like doing a really great thing and sharing it with a friend. And I really want to say thank you to absolutely everybody. Um, so, what I built was this like massive thing where I would type RT and it would type out random thanks. And then it would go into my database of like, I don't know, 40 or 50 different thank you messages and send them one of those thank you messages. And when I tell people that, they go, oh, that's so that's so skeezy and scammy. Why would you automate saying thank you? But like, I want to say thank you to all of these people, but I just don't have the time or the mental energy to figure out what to actually say thank you for. So uh, I created this little text expander snippet that would <laughs> randomly grab a thank you that it, it it sort of gives them the time of day and and says thank you for doing this and uh, often what that will do is is start or spark like a, a real conversation with the person which you can then go back and forth with them on on Twitter not as a robot yeah I take it you don't have a robot West boss that can have a full conversation no <laughs> no not yet at least. <laughs> <laughs> 
So as an entrepreneur, being able to wear many hats, being able to write code, do your own design, write compelling marketing copy, obviously helps you out. How important would you say it is for a modern entrepreneur starting an internet business to be a developer? Because a lot of people are trying to decide whether or not they should take the time to learn to code or they should just outsource all of that and work on launching their business today. Well, I think I'm a bit biased because I'm a developer, but I think having the development skills, at least enough to, to string things together, um, is super important. Because when you have ideas for things that might make your business do well, that's the whole growth hacker thing. Whether you like the term growth hacker or not, the, the whole idea behind that is you're able to get into your product and try things. And often that requires uh, fundamental changes to your code base or different checks inside of your code base at some point. And if you can code those things yourself, an example is that I recently rolled out purchasing power discounts, meaning that depending on which country you come from, some countries around the world have very low purchasing power in the US dollar. And my courses are a week or a month's worth of income for them. So the, the course is cheaper for them. And I was able to go into my into my code base, detect which country they're coming from and offer up a, a coupon code and then also restrict those coupon codes by the country that they're coming from. And I, most people wouldn't be able to do that. A lot of people come to me and they just have like this rat's nest of Zapier put together that it's too brittle to be able to try these things out quickly. And yeah, you could. I'm sure you could hire a developer for that as well, but that that's expensive. Yeah, I agree. I think learning how to code is such a, it's not absolutely necessary. And I've talked to people who've built businesses who don't know how to code, but it's such a tremendous advantage that if you have the time and the motivation to do it, you totally should do it. And you are the perfect person to talk to about doing it. So I teach in Toronto here at a place called HackerU. And a lot of the people who we, it's like a evening and it's a boot camp and evening classes. And a lot of people who come through and do these classes are in marketing. And not because they want to transition to being a developer, but they understand the value of thinking in code and being able to, to talk to people who can code uh, is super important. So at the very least, understand like what that, that looks like. So what level do you think of coding people really need to be at to start their own projects? And, and how long would it take someone who has never coded a day in her life to be able to launch her own online project that has a chance of, of making money online? At the very basic, you should pick up WordPress because WordPress starts from a working state and then you can add things on and, and sort of keep it working along the way. Whereas if you're building your own thing, you're, start, you're starting from a blank slate, which is not working at all. And, and being able to get it to a point where it is working and it's secure and can handle all of these different things. Like I've built my own platform and it's taken years to, to build. So I definitely would say like get to know WordPress, get to know some basic JavaScript, uh, and that will give you enough to be able to, to get something up and running uh, on your own. What if you are somebody who's got a good year or two to spend learning to code? You're in no rush. You don't need to get something out today. Uh, what kind of paths does somebody in that situation take to learn how to code? Do you recommend boot camps? Obviously, you're biased. You've got, you've got courses. Which of your courses did people start with? I actually don't have like a uh, a yet uh, a intermediate or sorry a beginner JavaScript or or beginner web development course. So usually what I point people to is Free Code Camp, 
But I think if you've got the time, you've got the money to take a boot camp, definitely do that. I know people are a little bit down on boot camps, but those are almost all developers who learn the hard way. So a boot camp is a great way to to spend, I don't know, a couple months just getting up to speed on it. And then you have if you have a year or whatever after that for self-study or or if you join an agency uh, and and work along that so you can sort of get up to speed. I think that's like the best and the fastest way to, to do it. And while we're talking about code, I'd love to talk about the code behind your products because you seem to have uh, an entire, like you said, a platform built out that controls everything. And as an outsider looking in, if I go to westboss.com, I see all these different courses and they seem to live on different websites and you've got your mailing list and you've got the system you just described where you know you can lower prices for people based on their country. Is everything connected into a single platform or are these all separate apps behind the scenes? Uh, well, I have westboss.com is like a, it's a WordPress blog I've had for 10 years or whatever. But the, I call it the thing that powers my courses. Uh, it's called Boss Monster. And, and what that does is it powers every single domain name for each course. So I do it a little bit different. I launch a new domain name for every course. And then it has an affiliate system built into it. it, has a country code, discounts built into it. It's got a bunch of reporting, a um, bunch of tax reporting for myself, the ability to, what else does it have in it? Just like obviously sell the products, charge the credit cards. It has the whole uh, delivering of the product, being able to download the videos or stream them online and keep track of your progress. So it's just sort of like all of these different things coming together. I initially built it because I had released a book and videos and there was there was no platform out there at the time that did both of those. And I'm sure there's really great platforms out there now that you can launch a video course without having to write a single line of code. But uh, I'm really glad that I did because I have full control over both the user experience, like how they view the course, as well as being able to try different marketing techniques out. Yeah, if you'll indulge me for a bit, can you go into some of the technical details about how the system works? Because it's pretty fascinating to hear about. I mean, where are you hosting it? What kind of languages are you using, et cetera? Yeah, it's a node stack. It's, it's The whole stack is written in JavaScript. It's built on a framework called Express. Uh, the database is MongoDB, which I host on a company called MLab. The whole Boss Monster is hosted on DigitalOcean. In front of that, I use Cloudflare, which... Uh, protects against DDoS as well as, well, it gives you this header, which is country code based on where they're coming from. Uh, the whole thing is templated out. Well, the front end is templated out in Jade. The back end, the whole viewer is entirely built in React. I use Stripe and PayPal to charge the credit cards. I use Stylus to style all the different, all the different individual pages. And I'm able to share some styles, like styling, styling the FAQ is shared between all of the all of the websites cool i think that's that's about it it's i have a whole video sort of on youtube explaining the the ins and outs of of the entire stack if people are interested in diving into a little deeper that sounds great i'm gonna have to go watch your your video <laughs> so you've basically got just a gigantic monolithic node application yeah it's it's a it's a gigantic node app it's it's actually not that big i i, I would say probably i don't know couple thousand lines of code, maybe more than that. I don't know. Uh, but it's custom built in order to handle the multiple domains because I used to I used to have a different app for every single website and then for each of my free courses. And it was just a nightmare to, to maintain 
Whereas now I can launch to, I think it's about seven or eight different domain names. I sold stickers a while ago, which had to be shipped to people. And I could just modify my course platform a little bit to to sell stickers to people. And it's kind of cool to be able to, to just morph this thing into anything that I want and not have to worry about. Uh, like a lot of people ask me to like open it up or to to like sell it to them because they will also want to use it or to license it to them. But like I love being able to just jump in. It's my own course platform. I don't have to worry about how other things work for other people because it's custom built for me. Yeah, that sounds perfect. I'm super jealous. There's, there's nothing more fun as a developer than building tools for yourself if you have the time and the opportunity. It's really just so fun. It's true. Yeah. I also like because I'm not doing client work anymore, I don't want to be that teacher who just codes these like examples that are not real world and I don't actually run into any problems. So like I want to be able to host my own stack and run into problems with the database and and like hit all of these issues that real world uh, applications will hit because that makes me a better teacher and I can I can tell people examples against my own experiences. Yeah, I would love to talk a little bit about teaching itself because I've taught a few people to code. I taught my brother and also another good friend of mine how to code, uh, kind of one on one. But you were teaching people to code and teaching people, you know, the ins and outs of different language features at a massive scale. Where do you get the confidence to teach people this kind of stuff, and how have you evolved as a teacher over the course of your career? When I first got asked to do a workshop because I had been writing blog posts, people were like, I'm, "I was," or I was like. Why would they ask me? Like, I surely don't know a whole lot about this topic. But you you come to realize, like, you as a developer, if you've been doing this for a couple of years, you do actually know quite a bit of stuff. And if you can uh, master the one topic that you're talking about, especially if as you teach things, you realize you don't know it as well as you thought you did. And that makes you figure it out. It makes you figure it out really, really well. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think that just being like, uh, I don't know everything. I'm probably not the best person in the world, but I am really good at explaining things. And people seem to like the way that I explain things. And I know it well enough to build my own stuff. So here is how I understand it. And here is how I would build something. And and people seem to learn well from that. Do you have a playbook or maybe like a list of things that you've learned about teaching that have improved over time since you started? Or do you think you kind of started off at the same level that you are now? Yeah, I think that when I first started, you you assume that because they're simple to you, they're simple to everybody, but that's absolutely not the case. They're they're very complicated to people. So often I will will simplify something or often I won't take in a third-party dependency that really convolutes it or uh or whatever because a good example is a lot of times people will in a node application will create or a React application will create tons and tons of index.js files and put them in import and export and string things along and create all kinds of stuff where where it's very hard to understand like how can I even trace what's going on in this application. So often my courses are a lot less files and they're often simplified in so that it's very easy to to understand what's going on. So that's I think that's what I've learned is that Developers often overcomplicate things, and that's a huge reason for people being confused. So if you can really simplify it, and, and not dumb dumb it down, but if you can like work out, like, how do I simplify this, and how do I explain this in such a, a way that regular people can understand it, people will really enjoy it. Yeah, and speaking of simplification, one of the more popular things that you've done 
is a course called JavaScript 30. And I know it's popular because when my brother asked me who I had coming up for the podcast, I said, Wes Boss. And he immediately said, hey, that's the JavaScript 30 guy. Uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think it'd be really fun to walk through one of your courses, maybe JavaScript 30, uh, maybe a different one, and just kind of take us from beginning to end of how you came up with the idea for it, how you prepared the content, uh, and how you launched it, just because I think it would be really interesting and educational for listeners to hear uh, what goes into creating one of these things and promoting it and getting it out the door. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I had been teaching in person for, I think also teaching in person is the best because if you just start a course and record it and give it to people, you don't see the confused look on people's face and you don't see people dumping the course halfway through because they're frustrated or whatever. So by teaching in person, you can really get a good idea of what people are struggling with um, and what the common trip ups in coding are. So uh, as I was co as I was teaching in person, I often had people coming to me asking like, what do I, how do I do, how do I get better at JavaScript? I, I need help. I, I just need like more stuff to work on. Like I get it. This exercise was great. How do I do it again? What do I build? And I always have tons of ideas. So uh, I had been keeping a list of like extra little exercises that would be good for people. And as I built that up, I thought like this would be a really great series of every day you do, you build one thing. It's it's vanilla JavaScript, which is totally against the grain right now because there's no frameworks, no compilers, no libraries, no boilerplate. It's just JavaScript. And, and people were sort of like, people are sort of overwhelmed with everything that's going on right now. So I thought this would be great. And I think it took me about a year and a half to build up a list of 30 different fun exercises, something that was fun and real world enough that you're going to learn something, but small enough that you could do it in 20 minutes, an hour, however long it takes you to watch the video and to do it yourself. And were you passively thinking up these exercises or did you spend a year and a half setting aside dedicated time to, to work on this? No, I. this is just a folder on my computer for a year and a half of every time I came up with an idea, I would open up a file on my thing, code a little exercise. And then once I had 30 or once I had about 50 of them, I went through every single one decided which ones would be good for videos, pick 30 of those. And then I went through every single one and like, like just made it slick, like polished it, made the HTML and CSS look really good, uh, made it make sense, made sure I use like the latest like ES6 stuff in it so people can get a chance to work with that. And then I had 30 things that I was building and I, uh, I recorded all 30 of them. And uh, I launch it as I'm doing this. I'm pumping it up on Twitter. I, I always post screenshots and little gifs and of what it is. And the, the hype was pretty big behind it. By the time I launched it, people, uh, yeah, I, I launched it to my email list and on Twitter. And uh, people are pretty excited about it. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about like a few different points in that process. For example, when you're recording the videos and at the same time hyping it up on Twitter, how long did that take and what, what kind of tweets were you sending? Uh, were you sending emails as well or did you wait until you launched to send in emails? I sent, I think, one or two emails before it was launched explaining what it, what it was. And then I, I, I did it all in the open uh, on Twitter. Um, not the code. I didn't show it on, the code online until I was totally done everything uh, and then launched that one. So how long did that take? I think from the point of having that list of 50 rough exercises to launching was about three or four months full time. So it was a huge undertaking. It seems like 
I just turn on my recorder and and start playing. But uh, they're very polished. They they make sure that they're following best practices. All of them look really nice. They've all been designed. So uh, yeah, it's about three or four months start to finish from having the ideas in some of the code to launching it to my email list. How did you decide what your business model would be for JavaScript 30? Because you ended up giving away all of this for free. Was that something that you struggled with or was it obvious from the get-go that you're just going to give this away? It's I had like three or four free courses uh, before that. So I had since discovered the business model of reciprocity, just showing people what your teaching style is like, helping people for free, doing like no strings attached where you have to upgrade or anything like that. Being like, just put them up, put them on YouTube, put them on your own platform. They're totally free. If you like it, I've got some other stuff. If you don't, totally fine. And that that's really it. Like the business model is helping people. Uh, and enough people that get helped will seek out your other stuff. And what was the the launch process like? Did you uh, you mentioned you launched it on Twitter and your email list? What did you send? Yeah, I think people need to know that it's coming. So I often will email once or twice in the coming month to hype it up. And then uh, when it's time to launch, you write an email about what the course is, what what it's going to help you with. And then also what I do is I often do what's called a hard ask where I'll say like, hey, like I legit just spent four months working on this thing. It would mean the world to me if you could tweet it out or if you could send it to a friend or a coworker. Uh, And then when you sign it, when you sign up for the course, it also says like, don't make this like everybody signed up for 100 courses and never taking them. Don't make this the course that you just like shelf. Commit to it publicly. Post on Twitter. Ask if I, I encourage people to get what's called an accountability buddy, where you do it with a friend, so like you can keep each other accountable. And that was huge as well. So people, it doesn't make you share it on Twitter, but it asks nicely and and tells you to like commit to it publicly. And and that has that helped a lot. Yeah, that's really smart. It's a great way to do it. What would you say are the biggest takeaways from from launching JavaScript 30? Is there anything that you learned from launching this particular course that you didn't know beforehand? I think that it was just don't ask people what they want. But I guess I have asked people what they want. But nobody told me I would like 30 days of JavaScript problems to solve. But like it was more listening to people who were overwhelmed with frameworks and compilers who were overwhelmed with React and all these new things where they didn't have any sort of solid foundation to build on, or they had been using jQuery for all these years and they didn't feel that strong with vanilla JavaScript. So uh, from all of those things, I thought like, well, you could get better if you just did a whole bunch of work and, and did a whole bunch of exercises with it. But there was nothing out there that was like concrete and you just put it in your lap. Uh, to to work on it. So I think like listening to to what people's pain points are really helped me figure out how this would. And this this one has absolutely blown up. It's it's exactly what a lot of people needed and because I think because I had taught in person and because I had been listening to what pain points were, it really hit a nerve and and exploded. Yeah, I mean it's everywhere and I think you're your point about understanding what the actual pain points are at their at their core is so important because at the end of the day, like you said earlier, you can learn every marketing tactic in the book, but if the product that you build isn't any good, if it doesn't actually solve a pain point that a lot of people are looking for a solution to, it's 
that's like a negative multiplier on all of your marketing efforts and tactics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What would you say, and I know earlier you mentioned that, you know, just, just not being afraid of the competition and, and realizing that you can build something even if someone else has already built something similar. But besides that, what would be your biggest tip to an aspiring first-time entrepreneur who's maybe, you know, just now trying to come up with an idea or trying to get their product out the door? Oh, I think just get content out there. Just start producing stuff, start putting stuff out there. Because if you're just sitting there, sitting around thinking about what it should be, you're not gonna you're not gonna get anywhere. But if you start producing, for me it was blog posts. I don't know if it's blog posts anymore. It's probably more YouTube videos or free courses or whatever. Just start producing stuff and, and get it out there. Start helping people. Um, and you're gonna figure out the the rest along the way. All right. That is a perfect place to end the interview. Can you tell people where they can go online to find out more about you and all the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, I'm uh, westboss.com, W-E-S-B-O-S. I'm at westboss on everything. So just find me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it is, I'm there. All right. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Wes. It was awesome talking to you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. If you enjoyed listening to this conversation and you're looking for a way to help support the Indie Hackers podcast, then you should subscribe on iTunes and leave a quick rating and a review. It only takes about 30 seconds, but it actually really helps get the word out and I would personally appreciate it very much. In addition, if you are running an internet business or if it's something that you'd like to do in the future, you should join me and a whole bunch of other internet entrepreneurs on the ndhackers.com forum. It's basically a community of like-minded individuals just giving each other feedback and helping out with ideas and landing pages and marketing and growth and other internet business-related topics. That's www.ndhackers.com forum. Hope to see you guys there.